Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Uh, It's been a great summer. We want you to have a happy summer. And here's what I know about you. You want you to be happy, right? Like, I know you because I counsel, I talk, I pray with you down front here. I know about this about you. You want you to be happy. One of the things that we've noticed that we run into, though, as a culture and as a society is this, is we're not actually very happy. Like, they do metrics on this stuff. Even even America, you would think the most advanced society in the history of the world. And, and we're pretty low on the happy scale. And it's because we keep consuming things that we think will make us happy, but it doesn't actually make us happy or it might make us happy in the short term it's almost like when you get like that new iphone and when you take it out isn't that one of the best things in the world is when you unwrap the thing i remember when apple was talking about how they designed their packaging the 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 designer of the packaging said this he said i wanted it to be lickable art and i thought you're weird but but you unwrap you take the seat you, you and you're ah and you know what happens that stuff wears off pretty quick Especially when your kid drops your phone and now you have a crack running through the middle of it. Yeah. So that stuff wears off. We have short-term happiness. We do things sometimes that create short-term happiness. But Jesus gives you the blueprint for long-term sustaining happiness, joy, and contentment. And many times in in, in our little religious worlds, we, we sometimes think God doesn't want us to be happy. God maybe wants us to be humble or holy. He certainly wouldn't want us to be happy. That's not God. And that's not true. Jesus is manifesto his sermon on the mount what i believe is the most important sermon in in its totality it's huge it's brilliant it's wonderful but it begins with a poem on happiness they use the word blessed everybody say blessed but they would have used it in the same context as happiness and this is how the poem goes blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, everything that Jesus just said there, that if I just said, hey, read this, this is the blueprint on happiness, you would look back and say, huh? Because this stuff is counterintuitive, is certainly countercultural, and it actually requires you to dive in and wrestle with it. Because some of it doesn't even make sense at first glance, at least not to us. And so if you haven't been here, please go catch up on the series. It's been fantastic. But go back to that one verse where it said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Today, what I want to do is unpack for you this idea of God wants you to be happy. And one of the, the, the keys or principles or secrets to happiness is living a life of peacemaking, not peacekeeping. Peacekeeping is good. That's fine. But that's not what Jesus said. He said peacemaking. Peacekeeping sometimes is I'll just sit back and not say anything and not rock, rock the boat and I won't make anybody mad. That's not what he's saying. He goes, no, no, no. I want you to go out of your way to make peace. And this is how Jesus begins to kind of unpack this idea. Blessed are the peacemakers because the rest of the New Testament kind of like conveys this idea of, no, if you are going to be a child of God, there's something in you that says in any and every possible way that I can, I try to make peace with people. I'm not trying, I'm trying to make love, not war. 
So now there's two big ideas again that I think are, are, are myths about peacemaking. And number one is this. It's not avoiding. So when I say that, I'm not saying, again, it's a, it's not a passive thing. It's not peacekeeping. It's not avoiding. Cause some of us do that in our relationships. You ever had a relationship that you're like, I'm scared of that person because they're nuts? Yeah. Like I've had that before. You're like, no, no, no. I don't want to bring anything up because they might flip out. Yeah, there's a lot of nervous laughter here. We all have, see, this is what lets you know we're all human. We're all part of the human experience. We all have that crazy family member. You know what I'm talking about? We all have that one family member that's just weird. But that's the old saying is that every circus has clowns and every tree has squirrels and some nuts. You know what I'm saying? So, and, and if you don't have that person in your family, it might be you. So if you're like, no, my family's great. Everybody's great. Just be prepared. It might be you. So it's not, it's not avoiding. That's the first thing. I'm not saying sweep everything under the rug. I'm not saying do that. That's actually cowardice. That's not what Jesus, because Jesus was a very confrontational person. As a matter of fact, if you don't believe me, go read the story where he goes in the temple and starts flipping over tables. Sometimes Jesus knew that confrontation was called for. So it's not avoiding. You know what else it's not? It's not appeasing. That's the other thing it's not. So you're not just giving in all the time. I'm not saying be a doormat and be be just whatever you want just to not upset people. That's not what we're talking about. Again, we're talking about actively going out and trying to make peace with others. Because here's here's what I know about all of our lives because of all the nervous laughter. We all have that like family member. I've been there. One time I made my mom so mad. When I was about 30... You know, I was coming into my own apparently. And my mom, I don't know, maybe late 20s. Because we were in an apartment over in North, yeah, North Park. I think I might have been in my late 20s. So, you know, you start to feel, you know, I'm a man, you know. I was shaving by then and all. And so, and so my mom and dad came to visit. And something went down. And there was like an argument and a fuss. And it wasn't major. But then mom starts cleaning. You have a mom that does that? Like somebody that gets nervous energy. And then they start cleaning because they're nervous. Well, that's what mom starts doing. And that's the only time she cleans too. So my mom doesn't listen to my sermons. I can say anything I want. So, so mom starts cleaning. Well, I'm upset. I'm like, look, mom, stop. Just stop the cleaning. We'll get it tomorrow. Stop it. And she goes, no, no, no. I'm just going to do it. I said, mom, please stop. I'm asking you to stop. No, no, no. I'm just going to get it. Mom, stop. This is my house. And I need you just to stop what you're, I am a, I think I said something like, look, I'm grown. Isn't it the worst when your teenager tells you that? Look, 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 look mom, I'm grown. I was like 28 or 29. I'm grown. And I kind of gave her the business. Well, she shut down and they flew home like the next day. Well, about three, four days later, I get a letter in the mail. Dude, it was three pages front and back. She used the phrasing, you've gotten too big for your britches, young man. (laughs) What do you do with that? And it's awkward and it's weird and it's gut-wrenching. So if you've ever had that like relational conflict with your parents, I get you. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you got it with your kids, if you got it with your, I've had relational issues with my siblings before. It's, it's, it's off. You ever had a problem with a coworker? You ever had a coworker just throw you under the bus or do something dirty? And here's, here's what we all do. Whenever we have conflict, again, there's a temptation in us, maybe to avoid, maybe to appease. You know what some of us do? Some of us go in the opposite direction. We don't even go into, in the realm of peace. We go into the realm of fight. We go into the realm of like, you hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you back. 
you did me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong back. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I want you to be a peacemaker. And here's why. Here's three big reasons why I need you to become a peacemaker. Whenever you have some type of unresolved conflict in your life, you need to know this. It blocks your fellowship with God. It does. I'll prove it to you. Husbands, wives, have you ever gotten into a fight on your way to church? Yeah. No nervous laughter about, shh, you know what I mean? Or do that. I don't know. Whatever. So you get into a fight on the way to church and all of a sudden church is just not the same. Like I probably preached the best sermon of my life and you heard nothing. Why? Because your worship is not the same. The, the sermon's not the same. Nothing is the same. Why? Because you have this conflict. But that's true of every reign of your life. That if you have real gut-wrenching conflict in your life, you know that when you go to connect with God, something just feels weird. Look at what the Bible says. This is John. And he says, you can't love God whom you've never seen if you don't love the people you do see. And to claim that you love God while hating others makes you a liar. Now, John is brutal here. I mean, I, that's pretty confrontational stuff right there. But he's saying, hey, look, be careful that in your personal life that you have these relational conflicts. He goes, no, you can't live a life of conflict. You need to resolve that thing and create peace. Because when there's peace inside of you, it allows you to have an incredible peace with God. Number two is this. This is another odd scripture you would never think of. But being in conflict with others, it actually can hinder your prayers. And here's what else I know about you. You really want God to answer your prayers. I don't think this actually hinders God from answering anything. Again, it, it hinders your communion and fellowship with God. Listen to what this says. This is in First Peter chapter 3. Husbands and wives. We were talking about this on the way to church. Get into the fight. Husbands, be considerate of your wives and treat them with respect. So what? So that nothing hinders your prayers. At the end of the day, I think Jesus just addresses this because not only does it mess up between you and God and your prayer life and your fellowship and your connection with God, at the end of the day, let's just be honest. When we are in conflict with other people, we lose our peace. We have no peace in our life. It steals our peace. Listen to what James said. James said this. Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of what? Goodness. Yeah, yeah. There's just something about it. So, so again, Jesus is kind of starting us out on this blueprint. So you really want to be happy in life? I'm telling you what, become a peacemaker. Because whenever there's conflict in your life, looming conflict between you and coworkers, you and neighbors, you and friends, you and family members, it just makes life funky. It robs you of your peace. And now you're not happy. And if you know this, because I would say this, we move in and out of relational conflict, Right? You ever do this? Because half of you are like, no, I'm pretty, doing pretty good right now. Give it six months, right? The other of you are like, no, I've got incredible conflict. And you know what I tell you? It's okay. Give it six months. So either way, you're kind of flowing in and out. But what you want to do is, is as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. And so here's what I want to do is I want to give you a blueprint here for, for how to make peace with other people. Because here's what I found is that and this, this is worth marriage counseling right here. This is worth a few hundred bucks. But I'm giving it to you for free. Because most of the time when people come to me for counseling, the vast majority of the issues are either some type of marital conflict or some type of relational conflict. And what I found is, is that people, we actually have really, really poor conflict resolution skills. Do you know why? It's because nobody ever taught us. Think about it. Do you ever take a class on conflict resolution? 
Do parents ever sit you down and say, hey, here's how you, you know, work this out? As a matter of fact, some of us, our parents are the ones that gave us our current blueprint for conflict resolution. And sometimes it includes yelling or throwing things. So just what your parents taught you may or may not even be the best thing in life. And so what I want to share for you is what I think is, and this is again, stuff that I share with people in counseling sessions for like how to actually resolve conflict, how to be a peacemaker. So let me do a little experiment. Ready? Close your eyes real quick here. You don't have to bow your heads. We're not praying. Just close your eyes. That's the thing at church though. All right. Think about the last conflict that you had. Think about the last person that you are really thinking, Ooh, Boy, did they get underneath my nerves. Boy, was I upset with them. Boy, was I maybe even bitter. Maybe it's right now. Maybe it's the most recent one. All right, you got it? All right, come back to me now. Now let's go down this journey of what does it actually look like to be a peacemaker? What does it actually look like to walk this thing out, as Jesus said, so that you and I can walk this thing out like children of God? Number one is this. Are you ready? If you're taking notes, this is going to be really good. Number one is this. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. It sounds so simple, but most of us, what we do is when we have conflict, we just either stew or we react. We don't pray. We stew, we let like imaginary thoughts, imaginary conversations, what I should have said, what I'd like to do. We stew. Or we just go and straight up get into conflict. And what I'm saying is this, is before you do anything, you pray, you slow down, and you ask God for wisdom. Listen to this. This is brilliant. Matthew 10, 16. This is one of these scriptures that every time I deal with relational conflict, I come back to this one. You ready? Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be, everybody say wise. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now that sounds weird. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he said, hey, I'm going to send you out to go on a missionary journey, but you're going to run into problems. And so here's what I want to do is I want to give you a principle for how to deal with the conflict and the problems that you're going to run into on your missionary journey. He said, I want you to be as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. Now, this this idea plays on Genesis chapter three, where there's a story with a couple of naked people in the garden and a serpent. And it says that the serpent was cunning. Everybody say cunning. That's a compliment, just so you know. So in the Hebrew language, other people, whenever it was said that they were cunning, it was like, oh, no, he's smart. She's smart. She's bright. You know what it was? When you look at the word, it's the idea of these are the type of people that see cause and effect. These are the type of people that operate like chess players and look at two and three and four and five moves ahead. These are thinkers. They're cunning. They're crafty. And so Jesus is like, whenever you go and you happen to maybe run into conflict, Always be thinking ahead. Always be smart. Always be wise. And then couple that with the idea of your harmless as doves, meaning you're, you're innocent. Your motives are pure. Your heart's been checked. You're not going in there with vengeance. You're not going in there with impure motives. And so he's saying, but be wise as a serpent. Be thoughtful. And the only way to do that is with God's wisdom. I'll tell you how recently this worked for me. Recently, I had one of these difficult conversations. Somebody had made me upset, right? Like I was upset. And so you know what? I stood on it for a day. So I did the very thing I told you not to do. We're all on a journey here, people telling you what not to do sometimes. And so, so sure enough, I'm stewing for about a day. I'm stewing. And finally I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and talk to that person. So I went ahead and decided to address that person. I had set it up. I was going to talk to him on this and such day. And that morning I had this interesting thing where I was looking at pictures in my phone. I think I'd send a picture to somebody and I happen to see. Now, here's the deal. Uh, have you ever heard of a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie? Yeah, it, it's an incredible book. You should go read it. It's, it's a book on how to be a peacemaker, really. And I, sure enough, I had taken a picture of like the first three principles in that book because I remember I stink at this. 
You ever do that? Like, I stink at this. So like, every once in a while, you need to think about this. And sure enough, that morning, I'm sitting there thinking, and I come across this, and it was like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and goes, that's for you. You know what they are? These were the first three principles in Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people. Look at this. This is straight out of the book. Don't criticize, condemn, or complain. Now, I'd already prepared myself that I was upset with this person. So I was going to call them up and condemn them with my complaints and my criticisms. That's what I was kind of prepared to do. And then, of course, the other one was just give honest, sincere appreciation, arouse another, an eager one. But this was the thing that like hit me. And I'm like, man, I was about to, I was about to have this conversation. And I was in a bad place. I was about to have this conversation and I didn't have the right motives. I was about to have this conversation and there was no wisdom about me because I was ready to go criticize, complain, and condemn. And so what I'm sharing with you is this, this is what really, really mature people do. Now, obviously God saved me in that moment and brought it to my attention because it wasn't at the forefront of my mind, but this is what we do. We try to figure out, God, what is your wisdom and how can I approach this the best way possible? Number two is this. You're not going to like this one. Number two is make the first move. If you really want to be a peacemaker, again, not a peacekeeper, peacemaker. That means you have to go make the first move. You have to take the initiative. And this is a scary thing for some of us. Some of you are deathly afraid of ever creating conflict, of ever stirring the bow. You, it, it, it cripples you. But listen to what the Bible says. This is what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5. This is later in the Sermon on the Mount. It says this. He goes, if you're standing before the altar in the temple, giving an offering to God, and then you suddenly remember someone has something against you, leave your offering there beside the altar. I, I, I think this is like the classic. This is what a preacher would say. Hey, did you bring your offering? All right, look, leave your offering here. I mean, don't take it with you. Just leave that here. But go make right with other people. Just leave the offering here while you do. And then come back. And that's what he says. He goes, everybody say, go. That's what it says. Go at once and first be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your gift to God. You know what the shocking reality is? Because we talked about this last week, that there are certain things that are more important than your worship. Like last week, we looked at the idea that mercy is more important than your worship. Like that's what Hosea said. Goes, no, no, you, you can't, you can't be coming in here and worshiping and trying to honor God and then go out and be unmerciful to other people. It doesn't work like that. Well, Jesus is kind of saying the same thing here when it comes to peacemaking. What he's saying is, is don't roll up into church when you have all kinds of relational conflict. Try to resolve that first. Now that's not a metaphor for get up out of here and go walk out and leave. Just hang tight. Because you're going to need the other five principles here in a second. But, but the idea is, is that you're, sometimes your conflict comes in between, again, your relationship with God. And you need to resolve that first. And so it requires you to get up and go. If you're taking notes, conflict is never resolved accidentally. I've never seen that. If you've got that worked out, praise the Lord, good for you. But in my, in my experience, conflict is never resolved accidentally. The only way resolve, to resolve a conflict is to face it. And so again, I know that there's a fear in you. I know that there's, listen, this goes back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Adam sins, Eve sin, they sin against God. God comes looking for them to try to restore the relationship. And you know what they did? They were trying to avoid the conflict because it is unnerving at times. And so this is why you have to pray first. You have to seek God's wisdom first. You have to like be prepared to say, God, you're going to go with me, but I want to be a peacemaker. It is God's spirit in you that gives you the strength to pull that off. Everybody's all right. Number three is this. This is what you got to do. Everybody say, set the tone. All right. That was very weak. Let's try that. Everybody say, set the tone. 
so before you go and have some type of peacemaking thing, before you go and try to have maybe that difficult conversation, you need to set the tone. Again, you're going to be as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. So that means you need to set the tone. Let, let me let me tell you what that means. Number one is this. Choose the right time. Like married couples, you know this. There is a wrong time to bring things up. Right? Like when when like... The kids just ruined everything, broke this, and she's frazzled and stressed out and trying to get dinner, and then all of a sudden you go and bring something up? That's not wise. Ladies, when your husband walks in the door, and he just literally walked in the door from a long day at work and then a long commute, and then all of a sudden you bombard him as soon as he walks in the door, that is not a good time. So you figure that out. But know this, the question you're asking yourself is this, is when can we have the best possible outcome? That's the best time. I always tell wives this whenever we do like marriage counseling. I'm like, look, here's what I would do. I'd go, I'd go grill a steak and wrap it in bacon and then I'd put on something cute and then I'd just, oh, here you go, honey. And then ask him for anything you want. You know what he's going to say? Yes. So there's a certain way to get what you want, ladies. And it's usually visual and food. That's, I'm going to leave it at that. So, uh, second, second thing is like right place. Like, like when, when I, there's nothing worse than like trying to have like a deep, meaningful conversation while their kids are yelling and screaming. You know what I mean? Like pick the right place, pick the right time. Hey, pray first. Again, never go into a meeting with your heart, not like prepared to be a peacemaker. And then lastly, just come with a positive attitude. This was me. Again, I was going into a conversation and I was in a mood. I was grumpy. I was ready to give that person the business. My heart wasn't in the right place. And so that's how you set the tone. You got to make sure, okay, when is it best to bring this up? What words am I going to choose? How am I going to bring this up? Let's make sure that the tone is set. And part of that is even my heart being set in the right place. And so that's how you set the tone. Number four is this. Always begin with what's my fault. I knew that would get no amen. I just wanted to check and see. I paused there for a second. It was, I was right. There's no amen there. Nobody wants to actually begin with what's my fault. But I'm telling you, it's the key. It's the key to building a bridge between two people is you begin with what's your fault. Because many of us, the reason why we're going into that conflict is because of something that they did wrong. And so here's what I would tell you is if, if 99% of the issue lies with them, you still begin with what's your fault. Always begin with what's your fault. Always begin with thinking, you know, let, let me see what I can do to build a bridge. This is what James said. Think about this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Like, why is there conflict? They're caused by selfish desires that are continual at war. Everybody say inside you. Inside you. So like, you just need to know that the cause of your fights is something inside of you. That's my fact. I would say the number one cause of most fights in life are self-centeredness like that's just something that drives most conflicts anyway and so what i would say is this in any conflict just go and say hey you know what i could have responded wrong i'm sorry for the way i reacted hey i'm sorry it turned out that way hey i didn't mean for that wasn't my intent apologize for whatever you can and my big challenge to you is this is if you're one of those people that never apologizes you need to repent If you're a person that can't say I'm sorry, you need to know that that is pride gripping your heart and ruining your relationships. That's the thing that causes you not to be able to admit when you were wrong or apologize. And you need to absolutely eradicate that from your heart. And so anyway, but begin, begin with what's your fault. And hey, whenever it is necessary, you know what you got to do? You got to just flat out repent and apologize. Sometimes at the end of the day, that is the only thing you can do. Say, hey, and this is, this is what a great apology sounds like. 
I am so sorry. I was totally wrong in that situation. I hope you can one day somehow forgive me. That's what it sounds like. Um, have you ever had a bad apology? It's almost more damaging than not saying anything at all. And I found this to be the case. We had a, we had a situation here at the church one time where um, there was a young lady coming into church and she got pulled over by a police officer. And when she got pulled over, he was in a bad mood. So he's given her the business. He's, he's being really rude and harsh. And so anyway, she's like, no, no, that's out of line. That's too far. She actually calls and puts in a complaint. Well, he has to come and apologize. And I don't know if he apologized to her, but he came and apologized to me. And his whole apology was the worst thing I had ever heard I don't think he ever actually said the words, I'm sorry. You could tell it was one of the things where like his boss got all over him and he was forced to come give an apology, but it was the most pathetic thing in the world. And I was just embarrassed sitting there trying to listen to this guy beat around the bush and not apologize. But here's, here's what a bad apology sounds like. You ready? Well, I'm sorry that you're so sensitive. No, that's an insult. That just because you put, I'm sorry in front of something actually doesn't mean make an apology. No, you're going to have to go apologize for that. Here's another one. I'm sorry, but you know, technically. Well, anything with but behind it, right? Well, I'm sorry, but as soon as you put but behind your sorry, you ruined your sorry. Here's another one. Sometimes like, sorry, geez. You ever do that one? Like in the moment, you're like mad. Here's a, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. That's not an apology. Here's, Here's another one. Well, I'm sorry. Now, is there anything you'd like to apologize for? Oh, man. All right, last one. You ready? Well, I'm sorry, but you deserved it. Terrible. No, no, no. This is what it looks like. Listen, listen. Even if it's mostly their fault, begin with what's your fault because it builds a bridge. Again, you're being a peacemaker. You're, ma- you're trying to make peace and build bridges. And so, but, but many times it's not 99% their fault. Sometimes it's 99% our fault. And whenever it's our fault, man, we go in hard with just a legitimate apology, a repentance. And it looks like this. I am so, so what I did was wrong. And I hope that you can please forgive me one day because you don't demand their forgiveness. We don't, we don't roll in like that. So anyway, just, just think about that as, Hey, this is how you really give a great apology. Number five is this, listen for their hurt and perspective. So whenever you're in this conflict situation, listen to what they're trying to say. Listen for what's going on behind there. Because when, here's the deal. When you really talk to people, they say one thing, but there's some emotion behind it. There's a story behind it. There's something usually underneath those surfacey words, and that's what you're listening for. As a matter of fact, you, you know what one of the greatest scriptures to conflict resolution is found right here in James chapter 1. Listen to this. If you just tattooed this, you'd be pretty good for life. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to get angry. Somebody should tweet that. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to get angry. You get into that conversation. What should you do? You don't have to go. See I told you. I was going to save you like a thousand dollars. Because counseling is about a hundred bucks a pop. Right? It's about a hundred bucks a session. If you go see a counselor. I just saved you. Because I'm giving you about eight, nine points. That's about nine sessions per point. That's nine hundred dollars. This is the most valuable sermon you've ever heard. I just saved your life. Or your wallet. Either way. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. What you do is this, is you, you again, you, you sit there and ask your, because this is one of the worst things that we do. Have you ever noticed yourself doing this? When you're in a conversation, you don't actually listen. You're just preparing your next words. 
I know today's different. Today's not much of a sermon as much as it is like a session, like a teaching session. I know, but I'm trying to help you out here because nobody taught us how to do this. My parents didn't teach us how to do this. I had to figure this out the hard way. I'm still figuring this out and trying to apply it. But here's what I know. If I know how to make peace, I know how to create happiness in my own life and I want to be happy. Can I get an amen? Like you want to be happy. So I'm trying to walk you through it. So always listen for their hurt and perspective. Number six is this. Speak the truth tactfully. Everybody say tactfully. Are, is there anybody out there that just wants to own it? You don't have very much tact. I'm in your boat just the way. Yeah, we, we, yeah. Here's what tact is. Tact is your ability to say the right thing at the right time and to avoid saying the wrong thing altogether. Let me say that again. Tact. And some people have it. It's incredible. They're so artful. They're so thoughtful. They're so in, in the present moment, able to respond appropriately. I just say whatever comes to my mind and it's terrible. So what do you do? A tact is the ability to say the right thing at the right time and to avoid saying the wrong thing all together. This is how you want to go. Or as Paul said in Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. This is how you speak. You speak the, as a matter of fact, this is the way all communication, all healthy communications based on this right here. Kind honesty. How do you speak? With kind honesty. That's the foundation to all communication. How do you speak with your wife? How do you speak to your dog? How do you speak to your children? How do you speak to you? I'm just kidding. You can yell at your dog. How do you speak to your coworkers? How do you speak to your neighbors? How do you, kind honesty. That's how you speak to everybody because that's the way that you actually, because see, here's the thing that we do, especially if you, if you grew up in church, this is the problem that Christians run into. Religious people run into is sometimes we try to speak the truth and we lost the love. And Paul actually said, if you had all the truth in the world, but you don't have love, you're obnoxious. So what's more important? It's the love in which you speak. That trumps the actual truth that you have. Now that's tough to swallow because, because again, religious people, we, we get fixated on being right. And Paul said, stop it. Get fixated on being kind. Be, get fixated on being in love because nobody's going to get to heaven one day and they're going to figure out if you had all the truths right and all the doctrines right to see if you get in or not. No, no, no. Think about what Jesus said. Jesus said, when we all line up, Jesus is saying, no, no, you're in. Look at how you, you fed the poor. You gave water here. You went and visited people. You clothed people. It, it, it had to do with your mercy and your love and your kindness. It was not like, well, what was your take on the rapture? What was your take on predestination? What was your take? None of that. How ridiculous. Religious people get so weird. We get fixated on the wrong things and we missed what the scripture actually teaches. We miss what the biblical authors actually taught. And don't get me wrong, doctrine's important and study the scripture. But bless God, if you miss the idea of doing it in love, you've missed the main point. So always speak the truth in love. Listen to what Solomon said, Proverbs 12, 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So foolish words hurt and wise words heal. And so just be careful that when you speak again, you're, you're listening, you're thinking about their hurt. You're thinking about their perspective. You're beginning with what's your fault, but whatever you do say it is bathed in love and kindness. Number seven is this last one. Here we go. Focus on reconciliation, not resolution. Let me say that again. Focus on reconciliation, not resolution. Let let me just help you out real quick here. And anybody that's been through multiple conflict and issues and problems. Sometimes you never end up fully agreeing and that's okay. You don't have to agree on everything to be agreeable. Does that make sense? 
You don't have to agree on anything to be agreeable. Sometimes it's just better to say, hey, look, I would rather us disagree, and that's okay. We don't have to agree about everything, but I want our relationship to have some level of peace in it. You're never going to agree on everything, but your goal is it's reconciliation. It's saying at the end of the day, I don't want there to be hurt and hate or bitterness or distance between us. I don't want to have an estranged relationship with you. I'd rather us just disagree on some things. Because again, your need to be right about all the details is trumped by love. So we said, no, no, no. Let, let me lean in here. Let me love first. We don't have to agree on everything, but le- at least let there be peace. As far as it depends on me, as much as I, within my power, let us there be peace between us. And watch this. This is incredible. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this. It says, God has restored our relationship with him through Christ and has given us, listen to this, the ministry of restoring relationships. You, some of y'all are thinking, I think Todd made that up. I think Todd wrote that in there. I promise it was already in there. As a matter of fact, one translation says, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of restoring relationships. God was in Christ restoring his relationship with humanity. And he didn't hold people's faults against them. And he has given us this message of restored relationships to tell others. We are Christ ambassadors, his representatives. We beg you on behalf of Christ to become reunited with God. So this is the gospel, people. This is, this is what it's all about. God's saying, no, 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 there was conflict between me and humanity. But you know what I decided to do? I could sit back and do nothing. Or I could invade the human story through Christ Jesus and create such a powerful bridge of love and mercy and sacrifice so that we could restore our relationship with each other. He goes, that's what I'm up to. Now that you're with me, you know what ministry you have? You've got the same ministry. We are trying to restore the world back to God. But that includes restoring our relationships with one another. Last thing, if you're taking notes, it is always more rewarding to resolve the conflict than to dissolve the relationship. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. You know, I had you like take a moment and think about somebody that might be in your life that you have conflict with. It could be a parent, it could be a kid. Could be aunt, uncle, brother, sister, coworker, neighbor. I'm not telling you what to do today, but I'm telling you you need to pray. God, how can I be a peacemaker? God, would you give me wisdom in knowing what to do? For some of you, God, will you will you give them courage to go do it, to overcome their fear, to know that God's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind that you can do this, that God is with you, and that God's actually called you to this incredible ministry. Of restoring and repairing relationships. God said, you really want to be happy in life? I'll give you one of the keys. It's being a peacemaker. Because here's the deal. Whenever we lose our peace, we lose our happiness. And God's like, no, no, I want you in the world actively engaging people, trying to create peace. Because it will make you happier. And in the world around you, it will bring heaven to earth. So, Heavenly Father, would you please help us? Holy Spirit, would you guide us, guide our words? God, help us, help us to speak the truth in love. And God, help us to err on the side of love. If we're going to make a mistake, God, help us, to, help us to have been too kind and too loving. 
God, would you help us, God, take these next steps in repairing and restoring our relationships so that we might be walking with you as children of God. Lord, that is our prayer today in Jesus' name. Come on, if you believe that, give me a good gospel amen out there. Yeah, yeah, can you give Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.